Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Today we have a special speaker, Doug Conning, who's going to come and give us our next message today. Doug has been around for a number of years. I have loved watching Doug minister. He is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He uh, is part of our prayer team. He's been a small group leader, is helping me with small groups right now. Um, And I just found out about a week ago that he's actually started his MDiv degree and uh, and, uh, pursuing more ministry. So would you just welcome him? Because I think he's got a good word for us. Well... I grew up about three and a half hours west of here in a small Midwestern town called Greentown, Indiana, whose only real claim to fame was a glass factory which burnt down in the 1900s, for which they memorialize every year now with a parade, and you can still find glass collectibles on eBay. Greentown is in the heart of farm country, surrounded by other small farm communities with very propitious sounding names like Wapikong, Hemlock, Plevna, and Swayze, Indiana, which proudly professes to be the only Swayze in the entire world. It was this one and only Swayze, Indiana, to which a missionary from my church thought he had a dream from God telling him to go to. Obediently, he woke up early in the morning, jumped into his pickup, and drove to Swayze and said, Lord, here I am. Oh, was he in for the surprise of a lifetime when he found out that God was not calling him to Swayze, Indiana, but to Swaziland, Africa, on the other side of the planet. So in obedience, he and his family sold everything they had, their hog farm, loaded up the family, moved to the other side of the planet, and they ministered in Swaziland, Africa, for over 20 years, growing the church from 150 people to over 6,000 people and planted 30 churches throughout the nation. It was in this, this um, Greentown area, area that I was raised. My grandparents actually own a small farm, and they raised everything from dogs and cats to chickens and, and a billy goat, and they even had geese. Now, I know that Ross and Wendy what was a year ago, taught that geese are the the Celtic Christian view of the Holy Spirit. But if you've ever been chased by a goose as a young child, you would swear that they play for the other side. My grandmother would would hear us us kids coming out screaming, and uh, she would soon come out and she would have a broom in hand and she would vanquish that evil lot. Speaking of brooms, the local Amish kids thought my grandmother was a witch because she owned a large black crow who would chase the Amish kids as they rode their bikes to school. Grandma would step out on her porch and she would yell, Blackie, Blackie, and Blackie would fly back to her. It's important to know that in all my my time growing up, never once did I encounter a single sheep. I came across other types of animals, but not one single sheep, which will come very important later on in my message. But first, it was in this Midwestern community that I became a Christian 
and was discipled. One of the tools that significantly aided my early spiritual formation was scripture memorization. My youth pastor, a wonderful man of God who had a huge impact on my life, would motivate us kids to memorize scripture by giving us points that we could then spend to purchase glorious treats and candy bars like Snickers, Goo Goo Clusters, and my all-time favorite, Almond Joy, because sometimes you really do feel like a nut. Now, properly motivated in my spiritual pursuit of a candy bar, I set out to memorize the absolute easiest and shortest scripture on the list, John 11.35, Jesus wept. Excellent. From there I went on to John 3.16, the most popular scripture in the, in, the, in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will have everlasting life. After that, the next list, uh, scripture on my list was, was the largest, most grand poobah scripture. It was an entire chapter. It was Psalms 23. I worked for days and days repeating the scripture out loud over and over until it was finally ingrained in my memory and I could gain my coveted almond joy reward. That scripture is, I'm not even going to try to say it here from memory, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, of course, I memorized it in the King James Version, to which my grandfather always said, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it was good enough for him. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul didn't speak English. I'm not sure if he was joking or not. Regardless of the version, if we want to grow in our understanding of God, be victorious over sin, and become who God has created us to be, then we must be intentional about reading God's Word and memorizing Scripture. David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorization plants God's Word deep into the crevices of our minds and allows God to shape and form us. If you are a parent here or a grandparent, encourage your children to memorize Scripture and reward them so that when they are old, they may not depart from it. To get you started in memorization, we want to actually pass out. Sherry has some cards that will help you on your your, um, journey here to memorize Psalms 23. Now, I warn you, it's also in King James Version, but if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for all of us as well. Yeah, Sherry will be walking down and passing these out. Today's message is entitled, Following the Good Shepherd. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 23, or you can use the card that Sherry is passing out. 
This psalm was written by a shepherd to people familiar with sheep. However, most of us, myself included, are not familiar with sheep. As mentioned previously, I had no knowledge about sheep, nor did I eat lamb or whatever mutton is. A show of hands real quick. How many here grew up around sheep or currently raise sheep? One, two, just a handful of us. The irony is that we know so little about the most mentioned animal in Scripture. This is because of two reasons. Many Jews were nomadic and raised sheep. They're also a common symbol or reference for people in Scripture. In preparation for today's message, I relied heavily on Philip Keller's classic devotion, A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23, a phenomenal book. Before becoming a popular speaker and author, Keller spent many years as a shepherd caring for the sheep on an African ranch. Many of the thoughts and illustrations from today's message comes from this phenomenal book. Before we dive in, let's just pause and invite the Good Shepherd to come and unfold the truths of the Scripture. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible faithfulness to us. We invite your Spirit to come, to dwell, to unfold, to unpack your incredible, rich Scripture. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, through my limitations and weaknesses, Lord, and that you would plant your Word deep into our hearts. We pray this in Christ. Amen. Psalms 23 is more than what meets the eye, as nearly every passage paints a vivid picture of the process shepherds take in leading their ships on their annual migration from the lowlands, through the valleys, along the streams, and up into the highlands. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. One exercise many people find helpful when meditating and memorizing Scripture is focusing on each word in the passage one at a time. When we quickly read over a passage, we may miss the deeper meaning of the Scripture. By slowing down and focusing on each word, it gives us a different understanding. Let me illustrate this with a process on just the first phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. Long before the the Ohio State tried to copyright the, the Holy Bible already had the corner on the market. The here is very significant as it doesn't say a Lord or one of the gods. It is the only Lord, the Lord of Lords, the host of hosts that that David is referring to. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord himself is my shepherd and is the focus of this entire sentence and the entire Psalms. It is not David nor the sheep. It is the Lord. His shepherd was not another person. It wasn't the government. And it wasn't even his own self. It was none other than the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. What a revelation it is when we come to understand that he is our shepherd, and he is watching over us. Oh, would we live different lives if we could only grasp this concept? The Lord is my 
shepherd. And here we find the crux of the entire psalm. It is coming to understand the personal, intimate nature of God towards us. Years ago on a mission trip to Romania, after the fall of communism, I was speaking with a young lady who struggled with the concept that God could love her or her country. We shared with her that Jesus died for all people everywhere so that everyone can come to know them, know him. The Lord is my shepherd. Out of all the relational models to describe his relationship with God, David chose a shepherd model. He could have said, the Lord is my majestic king. The Lord is a gifted craftsman. He is a faithful farmer. He is a mighty warrior. He is a loving parent. But as a former shepherd himself, he was intimately familiar with the attributes of a shepherd and viewed God as his own shepherd. So speaking of attributes, what makes a good shepherd good? In preparing for today's message, I thought, why not look at job descriptions online to see what they said was a requirement for a good shepherd? As I searched, I came across one entry where it says the shepherd was responsible for the care and health of the sheep. They would be paid 12 to $15 an hour, depending upon experience. Not too bad. And they would work a schedule of Monday through Friday. Okay, not, not too bad. And weekends too. Well, <laughs> and also holidays, making $12 an hour. So basically, the primary attribute of a shepherd is to be available 24-7 for very little pay. The psalm says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, and that he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. One of the greatest attributes of, of our good shepherd is that he is always faithful any time, day or night. While Psalms 23 demonstrates many other required attributes as a good shepherd must have, like being knowledgeable, protective, skilled, able to provide. One of the greatest attributes of a shepherd is being available. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A good, a good shepherd is responsible to ensure the needs of his flock are well provided. Their provision is his major concern every day, 365 days a year. The sheep can't just roam and eat whatever they like. The shepherd must provide nutritious grasses to sustain a healthy flock. Philip Keller prided himself as a shepherd in providing the best, most nutritious grasses on his land. He would search and remove any dangerous weeds or thistles long before the sheep would ever enter that portion of the land. However, his neighbor's sheep were not so fortunate. They dwelt on barren, weed-filled land. Keller recalls the haunting gaze of his neighbor's emaciated sheep peering through a fence that separated their properties, longing for the lush green grasses that were just beyond their reach. Our good shepherd tells us not to worry about our lives, what we will eat or drink, or, or about our body, because our heavenly Father 
knows that we need them. Long before we are even aware of our own needs, our Heavenly Father is aware. To be happy in God, we must learn to rely on God's provision and care daily. C.S. Lewis says it this way, Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. Now, some Bible versions may translate, I shall not want as I lack nothing or I have all that I need. However, the translation, I shall not want, is very interesting as it has a double meaning and one that is very significant in our journey. Not only does it mean that the Good Shepherd will provide for us, but it is also a declaration that we will not crave or desire anything more than what he has provided. Keller goes on to tell of one particular you who had a propensity to escape his grass fields to feast on weeds in his neighbor's run-down barren fields. He tried many things to divert her attention and, and keep her in his fields. But sadly, she began to lead other sheep astray, including her own little lambs. Eventually, for the sake of the rest of the flock, he had to put her down. Her desire for things outside of his provision was her downfall. Likewise, the desire for things outside of God's good provision for us can become extremely strong, and we find ourselves behaving like the spoiled Veruca Salt from the Willy Wonka movie, singing, I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I want today, I want tomorrow, I want to wear them like braids in my hair, and I don't want to share them. I want a party with rooms full of laughter, 10,000 tons of ice cream, and if I don't get the things I'm after, I'm going to scream. Hopefully, none of us can relate to that song, for we know how the story ends. She was a very bad egg. And for any of you here that are going to have that song stuck in the he- your head for the rest of the day, you're welcome. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. One interesting about this uh, passage is, is that sheep often do not sleep lying down. As defenseless creatures whose only real defense when attacked is to flee or gather into groups, they are extremely timid and skittish. A single rabbit or even a puppy have been known to send the entire flock fleeing for their lives. Sheep have an abundance of natural predators and enemies, wild dogs, coyotes, cougars, mountain lions, bears, and even eagles find them easy prey. In fact, there are many stories where just two wild dogs have ransacked and killed as many as 300 sheep in a single night. But not all threats are external. Some come from within the flock itself. Like most animal species, sheep have a pecking order or a budding order. Older, larger ewes will frequently prey upon younger, smaller, more vulnerable sheep. An older ewe with nothing better to do may see a smaller sheep lying down, minding its own business, when it decides to draw back, lower its head, and unleash a vicious headbutt on a, on a poor, unsuspecting animal. The Good Shepherd is ever vigilant against external and internal threats to the flock. 
For the sheep being able to see and know that the shepherd is near brings such great comfort that as a result, they will actually lie down in his presence and, and in the security and safety he provides. Speaking of us, God says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. What peace comes over us when we know our good shepherd is watching over us. He leads me beside the, the quiet waters. As mentioned already, Psalms 23 is describing the migration process of the sheep from the lowlands through the valleys and the rough hills and up into the highlands. Along the way, they travel through the hot, arid climate. Their weary bodies, tired and worn from the long journey, thirst overtakes them. How refreshing it is when they are led to a quiet water where they can finally get a drink and quench their thirst. Streams are such an amazing source of healing and refreshment. God has used streams in our lives many times. After the passing of our daughter, Abby, we rented a cabin up in the North Carolina hills that set mere feet away from a powerful stream. All night long, the glorious sounds of the rushing stream flowed in through an open window. God used its soothing sound to bring comfort and healing to us. Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. But sometimes we seek refreshment from other sources, pursuits, and material things. God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Only God is able to truly satisfy and refresh our soul. And he leads us to the gentle waters to give us life and wash away the debris. He restores my soul. One could ask at this point, if the shepherd is good and the sheep are following him and are under his tender care, why in the world would they ever need to have their souls restored. Well, for those of us who aren't familiar with sheep, there's a peculiar thing that, that sometimes happens. Sheep can become cast down, which means that they have flipped over onto their backsides and can't get up. Though a per- pitiful sight to see, sheep may lie down in a nice, cozy, comfortable spot and then lean to one, one side and stretch out and their weight shifts causing them to begin to roll over. The poor animal then panics and begins flaying its legs about, only to make matters worse and end up entirely on their backs, unable to right themselves. If not found quickly, a cast sheep can die from either the the gases that build up inside them or from a predator whose attention is drawn to such easy pickings. This is why shepherds must count their sheep daily. If one is missing, the first thing that they need to do is look to the sky to see if any buzzards are circling overhead, and then they act immediately. There are three primary reasons a sheep becomes cast down. First, they become too heavy. Sheep are naturally naturally short and stocky animals, and if they become overweight, their center of gravity shifts, and it's very easy for them to flip over. To correct this, the good shepherd will often put them on a special diet. Second, pregnant sheep 
have a tendency to become cast, to which the good shepherd has to keep a close eye on, or he could lose the ewe and the lambs. Third, a sheep can become weighed down by its wool as it grows and becomes matted with mud, manure, burrs, twigs, and other debris. The the wool of the, of the sheep becomes very heavy. Interestingly, in scriptures, wool is a symbol of our flesh or self-life. And priests were forbidden from wearing wool into the Holy of Holies. In Ezekiel, it says the priest must not wear any woolen garment while ministering at the gates or the inner courts or inside the temple. To remedy a sheep whose wool is too long, a shepherd would take out his shearing blade to cut and remove the wool. The process was neither enjoyable for the sheep or the shepherd, but must be done. A cast-down sheep can't fix his own problems. He is completely reliant upon the shepherd to find and save him. The shepherd must search for hours for the missing sheep, and as soon as he finds it, he runs to the cast animal, praying that it's not too late. He immediately works to get the animal back on his feet, helping to hold it upright until it regains its equilibrium and is able to walk again on its own. We too can find ourselves cast down, upside down, trapped in our own habitual sin. Embarrassed, we may delay calling out to God for help, thinking that we can fix ourselves or that we are a burden to God, that surely He is tired of us and our repeated failures. So like sheep, we lie there, flaying about, trying to upright ourselves. Keller says many people have the idea that when a child of God falls, when he is frustrated and helpless in a spiritual dilemma, God becomes disgusted, fed up, and even furious with him. This simply is not so. If only we knew how valuable we are to our good shepherd, that we are not a burden but his joy and delight, and he had searched the entire world just to find you and to restore you, it would change our world. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For the environment, sheep can be the most beneficial of all livestock to the land if they are managed well. Conversely, they can also be the most destructive of any livestock for they are creatures of habit following the same trails every day. If not properly rotated, ruts will form and they will also gnaw the grass down to its very roots, destroying the grass and causing the land to become barren and infested with parasites. A good shepherd has a plan to prevent all of this. As he walks through counting the sheep, he also observes the land, and he will move the sheep to prevent overgrazing. Guiding the sheep in paths of righteousness refers to the management of the sheep in order to keep them and the fields around them healthy and productive. Keller makes a very fascinating observation here. Whenever he would transition sheep from the old pasture and into the new pasture, as soon as they would see the new grasses, they would become so overwhelmed and filled with excitement that they would kick up their heels and leap with delight at the sight of the fresh grass. Like sheep, we too can become stiff-necked, stubborn lot, with destructive habits. And as the scripture states, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own ways. 
Ways that seem right to a man, but in the end lead only to death. Admittedly, sometimes following God's plan may not always make sense to us. There have been times when I've questioned if God understood that the shortest distance between two paths is a straight line. However, for God, the purpose of the journey is not just about getting us there, but transforming us into the image of of His Son in the process. And to that end, He is willing to guide us in paths of righteousness that have us wandering about like the Israelites in in the wilderness for 40 years. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The sheep are now far away from the lowlands where they first began and are now crossing through unfamiliar and dangerous valleys. This is not their destination, but they must go through the valleys to reach the highlands that the shepherd has prepared for them. He doesn't take them around the valley of shadow of death, but through the valley. Even though they are in a strange land where threats abound, the sheep are at peace because their shepherd knows the way and he is with them. It's important to point out here that this psalm has taken a personal turn and has now become intimate between David and his shepherd. No longer does it speak of the Lord in the third person. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. But now it uses the intimate first person. You are with me. It moves us from a place of just theory and head knowledge about God to one of experience and intimacy with God. For you are with me. God promises to be with us in every season of our lives, through good times and dark times. He remains by our side. This includes even when it comes the time for us to part this world. For the believer, even death is a victory. And as the good shepherd leads us into our new eternal pasture, our hearts will be filled with joy and excitement. And like the sheep too, we will leap with joy. C.S. Lewis referred to this moment by saying, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd had two primary tools in in their tool chests. The rod and staff. First, the rod is basically a small club that the shepherd keeps strapped to his belt. It is about two to three feet in length with typically a hard knot or ball on one end and served many useful purposes. As a weapon, it was quite effective. Striking a predator with the hard end of the rod would knock them silly. But shepherds were also quite adept at hurling the rod at some great distance. Keller recalled watching teenage shepherd boys in Africa compete to see who could throw their rods the farthest and with the most accuracy. A skilled shepherd could easily hit a target 30 yards away and with great force. The rod was also useful in counting sheep and evaluating the health of the flock. 
A sheep's thick wool coat can easily hide diseases, wounds, or defects. Using the rod, the shepherd would take the thin end and run it through the coat, dividing the wool so that he could carefully inspect the animal. This is what it means in Ezekiel when God says, I will take note of you as you pass under my rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. God examines us as the psalm says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The shepherd's second tool is his staff, not only for leaning again, but also the staff aided him in navigating through the, the rough terrain as he leads the sheep. A good shepherd uses the staff to gently draw timid and shy sheep to himself, knowing the closer they stay to him, the safer he can keep them. The shepherd may even come alongside a timid sheep and gently rest his staff, his staff on the side of the sheep as they walk to build intimacy and establish a bond. The crook end allows the shepherd to gently lift and carry a straying newborn lamb back to the safety of its mother so that the shepherd doesn't touch it and get his scent on the lamb, causing the mother to reject it. The staff is also useful for guiding sheep along narrow paths. If sheep began to head the wrong direction, the shepherd will gently redirect it with his staff. It is a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit directs us when he says, this is the way, walk in it. Then lastly, the shepherd uses his staff to rescue sheep. Sheep are notorious for getting themselves into a pickle. Greedy for more grass, they'll climb down steep cliffs and fall into the sea or get stuck inside a thistle bush. The staff allows the shepherd to reach out and rescue the lost sheep. David took great comfort from the knowledge that his good shepherd had a rod and staff and could be trusted to guide, protect, rescue him from any situation he found himself in. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. The sheep have passed through the valley, alongside the streams, through the dangerous mountain passes, and have now arrived at the highlands which are filled with an abundance of glorious grasses. The sheep leap for joy as they have arrived at their destination and witness the vast supply of the shepherd's provision for them. However, even here there are dangers for the sheep. Wolves, coyotes, cougars, and bears have picked up their scent and have followed them along the path. The shepherd must keep watch as the enemy is around. Specifically, He needs to keep watch over sheep who like to roam, wander, and keep their distance from others. These roamers are easy prey for quick predators. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, and the sheep are not his own. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf pounces on them and scatters the flock. The table that was prepared for us was paid for at the cost of our shepherd's own life. Nothing satisfies him more than to see us live victorious lives and partake of the table that he has provided. But like sheep, we too are successful to the enemy's strategy 
of distancing ourselves from the Lord and from other believers, not knowing all the time that this is the plan of the enemy to isolate us so that we become easy prey. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Now that the sheep have arrived at their beautiful destination, they can spend their days feasting on the gracious provision of their shepherd. And all is good, right? Well, there seems to be a fly in the ointment, literally. A very annoying fly. With the coming of summer in the highlands comes flies and bugs galore. In particular, one fly annoys the sheep more than any other. The dreaded nose fly. Yes, it is as horrible as it sounds. This little fly targets the moist membrane of a sheep's nose in order to lay its eggs. Disgusting, right? Oh, it's going to get worse. Once those eggs hatch... Hungry, tiny larvae emerge and burrow themselves into the flesh of the sheep. As we can imagine, it drives the sheep to insanity. They will do anything to find relief, even to the point of banging their own heads against trees and rocks, trying to find some semblance of rest from the invaders. Even the mere appearance of nose flies can send sheep into chaos as they try to evade those little devils. Although surrounded by lush, beautiful green grasses, the sheep may refuse to partake in the spread as they try to avoid the flies. As a result, the ewes and the lambs will begin to lose weight and become unhealthy. To combat this, at the first sign of the flies, a good shepherd will pour oil over the heads of the sheep. Immediately, there is a drastic change in the behavior of the sheep as the oil coats and soothes the irritation. Now at peace, they can begin to feed quietly and will soon lie down in complete contentment. This application of oil is not a one-time treatment. The shepherd will have to repeat this process many times throughout the season as needed. This is a a perfect illustration of how little irritations and aggravations can distract us from being at peace. Like the dreaded nose flies, sometimes the tiniest things can set us off. Every day is filled with these annoyances that can steal our joy. To combat this in our own lives, we we frequently need the Holy Spirit to pour out the oil of His grace over our lives. We receive this as we enter into worship and divert our focus from ourselves, our problems, our frustrations, onto Him. His presence then begins to overflow, and like the anointing oil, He soothes our weary minds, changing our behavior. We are then at peace and are able to rest in Him. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The sheep, the sheep have experienced the goodness of their shepherd as he has, has led them from the lowlands to the valleys and have brought them into the lush highlands. They have witnessed firsthand his faithfulness, even seeing him lay down his own life to leave the 99 just to search and rescue the lost one. Over and over he has proven himself trustworthy and they have come to know him. And more importantly, He knows each of them. 
Christ knew that in this life we would have trouble, but that we can take heart because He has overcome the world by giving us His own life for each of us, that we could know the incredible care of God. Paul states it this way, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also bring with Him graciously give us all things? There's an old hymn that says it this way that I love. And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. As if everything David has said up to this point wasn't good enough. He ends this incredible grand finale that no matter what happens to us in this life, we get to dwell with, his, with our good shepherd for all eternity. Oh, what a glorious promise, promise that no matter the difficulties, trials, frustrations, and failures of this life, Because of the Good Shepherd's provision of His own life, we will dwell with Him for all eternity. Like the popular song that says, I can only imagine what it will be like. As we enter into His presence, we will be like the sheep who leap for joy as we are led into this new pasture and see for the first time our wonderful Good Shepherd with our own eyes. I'd like to ask you to to respond to this message in two ways in closing. I want to give you an opportunity. If you are here today and you want to know God as your good shepherd, maybe you identify with the sheep who are cast down and feel trapped or you struggle with trusting Him and desire to get closer to Him, then I want to encourage you to stand. Also, if you're here today and you want to say, look, I know what it's like to be called from the lowlands. I have walked the valleys with this good shepherd. He has been there. And I want to stand today and give testimony that my good shepherd lives and that he has been with me. Then I want to encourage you to stand as well. So stand at this moment. If you need to see God in your life in a better way, if you say, God, I am like that sheep who who roam who go astray and cast. I want you just to, if you feel comfortable, lift your hands and just cry out, Lord, I, I, I want to know you deeper. I want to know you as the good shepherd. If you're here, like I said, and you just say, God, you've been so faithful to me. I can look back all my life and I can see how you have been faithful, faithful to me. Then just raise your voice and give him thanks. Lord, we thank you that you are our good shepherd. We thank you. And Lord, all of us long to be drawn closer to you, to know you like David did, so that we could all say together, the Lord is my shepherd. That we could trust in your provision, your ability to care for us. We look to you, O Lord. We trust you in Jesus' name. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, 
Go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.